Morning Hope Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Robert Meacham. I'm one of the preachers here at Hope, and I'm just so excited to be with you this season of Advent and this third Sunday of Advent. And this being the third Sunday of Advent, we're going to light the joy candle. The joy candle is pink, actually. The, the, the semblance of that is the, the purple candles actually represent uh, the royalty of Christ, but also they represent a, a repentance and the need for repentance. And, and the rose pink joy candle actually is, is a, almost a respite from that repentance and just the excitement of joy that is the Advent season. All right, so if you would, before we, before we start, let's, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for, for the opportunity to open your word, to hear uh, your truth. Lord, I, I thank you for, for those that are gathered here. Lord, I pray a blessing over them and, and, a, and a blessing over their interaction with this Advent season, Lord, that they can become even closer to you and an understanding of, of who Jesus is and who Jesus Christ can be in their lives. Lord, I, I just pray right now that, that you would just be with my words, be with my uh, the, the sermon that you have provided me so that it will truly uh, just make an impact so that we can, can just you know, come to a more fulfilling understanding of what joy is in our life. It's in your son Jesus' name that I pray and, that, that, and it is his name that I preach. Amen. So if you would, open with me or, or follow along on the screen with our first passage, which is Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. And it says, Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter, is daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The King of Israel, Yahweh, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. Yahweh, your God, is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will bring you quietness with his love. He will delight in you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who have been driven from the appointed festivals. They will be a tribute from you and a reproach on her. Yes, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather the scattered. I will make those who were disgraced throughout the earth receive praise and fame. At that time, I will bring you back. Yes, at that time, I will gather you. I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortune before your eyes. Yahweh has spoken. So when I was studying <clears throat> this passage, I, I really dig into the history. I know Logan has actually mentioned it over the last couple weeks how much he's gotten into studying church history. I love church history. I love uh, American history, military history, European history. I just love the study of history because it really gives us a perspective on why or how we got to where we are today. And we can discover a lot of context when we actually study Zephaniah. I'm sure many of you uh, uh, weekly open up the book of Zephaniah for all of the, the, the nuggets from, from the prophet. Um, maybe of those of you who haven't, you, you don't know that it was actually written, uh, you know, Zephaniah served as, as a prophet in the seventh century BC. He was actually the, uh, the prophet that followed Isaiah. Uh, and, and we can discover uh, through, through the study of the historical text that, that Zephaniah was the prophet during Josiah's reign. And, you know, we also see from the very first two and a half chapters leading up to this passage in chapter three that uh, 
that it was actually towards the end of Josiah's reign that, that he was, was writing these, uh, these passages. So the third chapter we know was written towards the end of Josiah's reign. And what had happened was there was a ton of reform that Josiah had put in place, listening to, uh, to his, his leaders or his, his, the, the scribes and the, and, and the prophet Zephaniah. And he had, he had attempted these reforms, but everything had failed. Uh, you know, so this passage, we see that there have been multiple attempts of reform and everything has failed. Multiple attempts to try and make his, his nation stronger and they have failed. So verses 1 through 9 of chapter 3 actually speak of the Judeans' unwillingness to be corrected. So the first two chapters of Zephaniah invite Judah to reform. And the first part of chapter 3 rebukes Judah for its failure to reform. But then the, the passage that we read, how much is that is a stark contrast because it offers a dramatic picture of hope. The transition is really kind of jarring because it's in the middle of the chapter where all of a sudden we, we see a, you know, God's promise of salvation and it completely interrupts a tirade of judgment with a song of joy. The prophet was writing of injustices that Judah had continued to commit, and, and he was writing about the catastrophic consequences of their moral failures. And I know that these words have probably, had probably been, been spoken to for generations to the Judeans, that he would call for them to repent, and then they would rebuke for, for the lack of repentance. And what we see is in the midst of all that uncertainty with the country on the brink of complete disaster after the death of Josiah in battle, Zephaniah invites Judah to sing and shout aloud in joy. So their fortunes were going to be restored. See, is there a practical lesson that we can find from the prophet Zephaniah here? Many of us see the world around us and we are disgusted by the depravity. We are just hurt by the hate and the division that is around us. Are we taking that time to continue to dwell on that or are we shouting for joy? Are we shouting for joy, expecting God to fulfill his promises? See, if not, why? Because God was with them. He was with those Judeans the entire time. As Zephaniah said, he was in their midst. So some of you might be asking, all right, Meech, what does the prophecy of Zephaniah have anything to do with Advent? You know, we're talking about the coming, expectant coming of Jesus. So I'm really glad you, you have asked that question because I've got an answer. So let's look again at verse 15 through 17 of chapter 3. It says, The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The King of Israel, Yahweh, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. Yahweh, your God, is among you. A warrior who saves, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will bring you quietness with his love. He will delight in you with shouts of joy. So that, that phrase that I want to focus on right there is that Yahweh is among you. In the Hebrew, it's actually the word karav. And it, it literally means it's in your midst. It's, it, it is with you, through you. It is, it, it is beside you. You cannot get more in your midst or among you than that word, that, that phrase meaning karav. 
As Christians, we proclaim that the man Jesus is also God in the flesh. We sing about it at Advent. We talk about Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus being God with us. And that's from, from the prophecy of Isaiah in, verse, in uh, chapter 7. Of the many important things to remember from this passage of Zephaniah 3, the fact that God is surely with us, that Jesus is surely among us. He is in our midst because he has kept his promises and he stays in our midst. We have a reason to rejoice. This thought, I hope it brings you to a point of starting to smile a little bit, to have abundant joy, because during the season of Advent, even though we have uncertain times that abound all around us, even though nothing looks like maybe you think it should, you know, the world is is upside down and backwards, it seems. In Jesus, God is literally in our midst. With God in our midst, what do we have to fear? With God in our midst, what? how should we respond to, uh, to anger, to anxiety, to despair, to, you know, the, just the, the pain that we have that we have gone through 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 the last few years and and might potentially be in the future with with Jesus in our midst how should we respond so as god continues to be present during the worst of our times we discover more and more of god's character and his grace and so besides the history of the passage uh, you know i also really love looking at at the language studies and and the Greek word for joy is actually kara and it means calm delight or inner gladness and it is related to Cairo which means rejoice and charis which means grace so from the word study we can find the word for joy literally means rejoice because of grace a focus on the grace of God can only lead us to a joyful life I imagine many of you can point to examples of God's grace in your life or throughout your life in the past. Here's the thing about grace. It should be bringing us so much joy, an abundance and an overflowing of joy. God's grace, we need it. We can't live without it. We can't buy it. We can't even earn it. Grace only ever comes by means of a gift. When you receive it, you immediately realize how much you needed it all along. And you wonder how you could have ever lived without it. So in in my opinion, God's grace is the most powerful force in the universe because it reaches down and takes you where you are and and removes you from that place and puts you where God wants you to be. It has the power to do something that nothing else can do and it transforms you from the inside out. But I also say this, grace is also one of the most overused words in the church. We use it, uh, we use a lot of theological, beautiful words or sayings, but we don't actually really know the meat behind them, the, the meaning behind them, how I can apply that, those, those words and those meanings. And I want to give you some examples of God's grace today that are going to give you a deeper knowledge and bring you to a conclusion that you can triumphantly say, because of grace, I am joyful. So the first, first and foremost, the God's grace of forgiveness. We deserve condemnation for our sin, but Colossians 1.14 says that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin in him. 
Jesus Christ went to the cross to carry our sin and bear our punishment so we could experience radical redemption and complete forgiveness. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and we have a reason to be joyful. The second aspect of God's grace is acceptance. God not only forgives us through grace, he welcomes us into his family. He adopts us as his children. And because of that, we now have this father-child relationship with him where we can come to him. As it says in Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will. So sin once separated us from God, but by grace, we are now accepted. We are adopted to be heirs with Jesus. That is a reason to stand joyful. The third is presence. Just like acceptance, the the grace of God's presence means that our Father is not distant. So this goes back to Zephaniah 3, where it says Yahweh is among us. Well, because of his grace, he has created a place where he can be in our midst, among us. That is a reason to be joyful. The fourth aspect of God's grace, freedom. God's grace delivers. You know, our sin turns us into addicts. We are slaves to it. But God's grace breaks bondage. Grace gives us the power to run toward freedom and away from sin. And that grace gives us a reason to be joyful. Finally, the last part of God's grace that is so important is that His grace is complete. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There will be a day when we will be fully restored to who we were meant to be. There will be no more sin. There will be no more struggle. We can surely be joyful. Now, after giving you a little bit of understanding of God's grace, I think we all understand that we have so much reason to be joyful in this Advent season. And not only in this Advent season, but in all seasons, in all struggles, in all trials, we have a reason to be joyful because of God's grace. You know, joy in the New Testament is virtually always used to signify a feeling of happiness that is based on spiritual reality, but separate from what happens. As we have just gone through a list of God's graces, we see that joy is a deep-seated pleasure that is interwoven with God's grace, not our circumstances. It is a depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful heart. And it is a cheerful heart that leads us to cheerful behavior. Joy is not an experience that comes from favorable circumstances. It's God's gift to believers. Joy is a part of God's very essence and it manifests his supernatural and he manifests his supernatural joy to his children. For the people of Judah, a question throughout Zephaniah, it was who was their king? Under whose authority do they submit? Well, in verse 15, it says that the Lord is in their midst. He is is their king. Today we proclaim this truth about Jesus that Jesus is our Lord. He is a strong warrior, like it says in verse 17, and he quiets us with his love. 
What a kingdom principle to epitomize. This is exactly who we should be aspiring to be in our lives, to have strength to withstand trials, but with equal parts of love that quiet and calm not only ourselves, but those around us. Jesus, our Lord and King, is the King of love who dwells in our midst, and his grace is cause for joyful celebration. It gives us hope in the midst of suffering. It gives us peace in the midst of uncertainty. And it definitely gives us joy in the midst of sorrow so that we can love others the same with the same love of the Messiah. This is why our, the chapter in Zephaniah stuck out to me in my study. The message of the verses in, in verse 14 through 20, it, it, it interrupts a prosophy, a prophecy of doom and destruction with a song of joy and celebration. After looking at the prophecy of doom interrupted by joy, I, I did have this thought. I said, well, can that joy be interrupted by doom then? If, if, if joy can interrupt doom, can it go backwards? Well, here's your answer. From, G, from Jesus's words in John 16, it says, John 16, 20 through 22, I assure you, you will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will rob you of your joy. I'm sorry, but when I read that, I hope you see that you're seeing it on video, but I cannot help but smile when I read John 16, 22. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. No one will rob you of your joy. I absolutely love that. If our joy in the Lord cannot be stolen from us, it cannot be taken away by anything, by sorrow, by pain, by despair, by the devil himself, he cannot steal our joy. How do we reflect that? 1 Thessalonians 1.6 says that we are to become imitators of us and the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, we welcome the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Joy is a deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows all is well between themselves and the Lord. And this is how we connect joy to our 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 work, our life, and our play, where we are at in our lives, we connect that joy is a reflection. It is a reflection. And, and when we are evidently joyful, what it does is it causes others to approach us with conversation, with questions, with issues, with prayer requests. They want to know why we are different amidst all of the stuff and craziness that's going on around us. How do we still seem to have it going on? even though we don't, but the joy that comes from God's grace as a gift to, to believers, that makes us different and, and we stand out. So in this Advent season, I urge you, I challenge you, work so that your house is a house of peace and welcomes others in. Work so that your house is a house of hope that encourages the community around you. And also work so that your house is a house of joy that reflects the coming of the Lord, despite the turmoil and the circumstances we are faced with. The words of restoration in Zephaniah 
were not uttered in a vacuum. They come after two and a half chapters of judgment and announcement of epic doom. How much more powerful are these words then when you consider all that comes before? Even when we see challenges around us, we can celebrate God's ongoing and future restoration work in us. Folks, joy is more than a feeling. It's a gift. And it requires a choice. We choose joy. We choose to remember God's promise and recognize that God is in our midst. While we await Christ's return, in faith we choose joy today. We remember God's faithfulness. We worship our Lord and King who is strong, He is mighty, and He is for us. Our joy is born in our hope in Christ. And we choose to hold God at His word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for the reminder that, that the joy that I have in my heart is a gift from you through your grace. Lord, I pray that, that myself and all those watching now would just take hold of the multiplicity of your grace, that we would just latch onto it and help us understand how much we have to be joyful. Lord, we thank you for your love and for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for the reason for this season. And it's in, in your son, Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.